Welcome to the Mustang Owners Podcast. And now your host, Steve Hall. Welcome to the Mustang Owners Podcast. I'm Steve Hall, the Executive Director of the Mustang Owners Museum. And today's guest is Mark Bentley. Mark, I met Mark some probably ten years ago. It's been a while, but uh, he was he was he was one of the Ford licensing managers back at the time when we met, and uh, since then has moved on to create his own agency, which is called the Licensing Factory. And so, uh, welcome, Mark, and welcome to our podcast. Thanks, Steve. Very happy to be here. Well, we appreciate taking a little time and talking with us. I think licensing is an area that. Uh, Everybody seems to have an opinion on from the enthusiast world, but not a lot of them understand, really understand what it's about. And I thought this would be an interesting opportunity to have a conversation because people have, you know, when, when they don't have the right information, they have the wrong opinions. And so I wanted to kind of, I want to, you know, spend a little bit of time and just talk about how licensing is involved with the hobby, what it does for both the manufacturer or the licensor, such as Ford or Shelby and such, but also how it protects and benefits the enthusiast. Well, first of all, tell us a little bit about your background. So how did you how did you end up in that field of uh, licensing? That's a great question, Steve. So uh, my background, I'm, I'm based in Detroit. I grew up here in Michigan, actually come from three generations of GM employees, interestingly, uh, ended up going to work for Ford. But um, my, my background, actually, I, I have an MBA in marketing. And when I uh, graduated, I, I started in 1986 right out of school with Ford in their marketing and sales organization. And throughout my 31-year career, I, I was in various jobs. And 2005, um, I was interviewed internally for a, a new department uh, called the Brand Licensing Group. During the course of the interview, uh, when I was talking to the manager, he said, you will be working on uh, categories such as toys, video games, and collectibles. And I'm thinking to myself, is this a real job? Is this something that actually exists in the corporate world? And uh, come to find out, it, it did. And actually, it was a very important part of the group because uh, the revenues derived from toys and video games um, in the licensing group was over 60% of the overall revenue and uh, represented close to 180 companies uh, that were actually licensed by Ford. So basically I would be managing those companies and the relationships with those companies and helping to grow the business over time. So from 2005, and I ended my career in 2017 at Ford, it was 31 years of, of great, great jobs, but licensing being the best, I ended up um, retiring in 2017 and in 2020, I ended up starting, along with business partner, the licensing factory. And we now actually re represent companies such as Shelby, Celine, uh, RTR Motorsports, Vaughn Gittin Jr., and others in the business in licensing. Well, let's, let, let, me, let me go a little bit into some of that, because when you say toys and you talk about uh, video games, and obviously the growth uh, from those areas have been substantial. So really what we're down, I, correct me if I'm wrong, we're talking about like remote cars, diecast, Bedford Exchange, uh, things along that line, correct? Correct, right. So it's it's been an interesting time in the toy business. When I first started in, in 2005, diecast was really still quite popular. In fact, a lot of people were collecting it. Uh, you had companies, like you mentioned, Danbury Mint, 
Franklin Mint and, and then down to the basics of Hot Wheels and Johnny Lightning and some of the others. But um, over time, interestingly, the market has shifted. Fewer people are actually collecting those cars. And now uh, people are more are switching actually to more digital in terms of video games, NFTs, which we'll talk about later if we have time, and, and other digital collectibles. So it's been a real shift from physical collectibles to, to digital, digital licensed products. Also, you mentioned uh, radio control and, and other plastic products as well, uh, right on toys, right on cars. Those are still popular. No, it is amazing, but it's also fun to watch as as technology has progressed. I don't I would the word I was say how more realistic those type of items are so that now, you know, kids can get in a, a girl can get in a little Barbie car that has a you know, it looks like a Mustang, it's got the pink on it, what have you. Uh the licensees have actually also then I think which is I think also important is that they've embraced that they really want to replicate what Ford is offering so that it's not just something where you slap on a sticker and it says Mustang. It has some features to it so that it has that distinct, a little bit more distinct look than just another plastic toy, I guess is what I'm trying to say. They're really trying to do a better job with that. Is that something that they're doing on their own, or is that something that Ford is also trying to push them towards looking into doing, going those extra steps and those extra molds as it might be in that extra effort? Now, so one of the things that people don't understand is, or very few people understand, is the fact that behind the scenes, there's a whole team of people that are helping to produce that product. So the product development process actually starts after a contract is signed. In many cases, CAD or 3D artwork is shared with the toy company. And at that point, uh, the toy company starts its product development and there's a whole cycle, which we, you know, I won't go into details on, but ultimately uh, the brand owner, in this case, Ford, has oversight throughout the whole process to make sure that the DNA of what the toy company is making uh, reflects what you know Ford wants it to show in the, in the marketplace. Now, in some cases, there will be compromise. You mentioned the ride-on toys; those those are a little bit out of scale uh, because it's just the nature of, of that type of product. But the interpretation, as long as it's accurate, is important to uh, in in this case Ford to make sure that it represents the brand and. We work internally. I know you've interviewed Steve Ling in the past, and he talked about working with other departments within Ford, you know, design, engineering. Same, same with licensing. Uh, we work with the brand teams. We would work, we worked with Steve. Uh, we worked with the design department. Uh, we actually received CAD from engineering. So all that goes into making, which is incredible, uh, little toys that reflect the brand on a smaller scale. Well, that's, I, I didn't realize that, that that kind of depth of connection was there because that's obviously ends up creating a better product. And I think that's something that the enthusiasts hopefully understand is that the idea is to build a better product, to create something that's more realistic so that their, their die cast may look like their car. We had a gentleman come in. He's coming for the driving school. He bought a Mach 1. And he's talking about, you know, he's got a white Mach 1. And he's going, you know, I really wish they'd come out with a die cast for my car. About a month earlier, we received a case of white Mach One diecast, and he was ecstatic. he was ecstatic. And then his yeah. but his buddy was with him, and his buddy has a black one, and he's like, "Well, where's the black one?" And I said, "They just haven't get it got it to us yet because they come in you know they come in colors, 
they'll, they'll add each couple months they'll do another color same body but just change the color but it's nice sure. that there's more and more of that connection because as you know the passion with mustang you know, owners and enthusiasts about their car anything that has their car on it they've got to buy it it's, they have to have it. It's it's just like it's like you know it's like when you have a, a pet and you buy toys for the pet. These little toys are for the owner of his car. So it's great that they get that kind of support from Ford to be able to do that. So that's awesome. I will mention to you, Steve, that uh, there's there actually is a lot of pressure in a licensing job to make sure you do it right, especially when it comes to high end collectibles. If you don't have the right paint color, and we actually we transfer paint chips and Pantone colors over to. To model makers to make sure that they uh, replicate the right color. But if you're missing a feature or wheels are incorrect or you, you name it, uh, you'll get an, an email or a note from a, an owner and saying, hey, you, you missed this. So um, they, they're your best police when it comes to making sure that you do it right. So we as a team, and usually I worked, I had a product development specialist that worked on my team. Uh, they, they, their job was every day they walked in the door was to make sure that they uh, did this correctly and passed along the right information and followed up throughout the development process with those, with those toy companies and video game companies. Uh, that's the other part I should mention, you know, making sure a Mustang, a GT500 sounds like a GT500 in a game. Um, so they'll actually go and record, record sounds to make sure that it replicates the sound of the car as it's as it's driving in the game and i want to mention too that on older vehicles because not only did we license new vehicles but we'd license say vintage mustangs you know um a 67 mustang might be in the game obviously you don't have cad for that that was pre-cad so we would work with owners uh to get those cars and have a photographer usually from the video game developer or the toy company go and take round the clock pictures of that car and knit it together in a 3D model, which then can be used for the basis of the toy or the game. Well, it's interesting that to learn this from even from my angle, that those are the steps that you go through, but of course it creates a better product. I do need to ask you, we had uh, early, about three years ago, we bought a uh, Sega game console called Ford GT. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? I mean, oh, yes. you, you, I, you, I was personally involved in that. Right. Okay. Now I have to, well, this is going to be a side note because I want to ask you a question that many people are going to know, huh? How did you get it upstairs to go? Because you have, don't you have to have at least <laughs> one sent to you? Yes. To make sure it works. So how did you, that game, I know how it is. Now we, we, we don't have it here anymore because it's just, we just don't have the room for it. But how did you get it upstairs into your offices? <laughs> Because that thing's a monster. Well, so, so interestingly, Steve, <laughs> you remember as, as you made many trips to Dearborn and to Region Court, where we were based, we had a, a large area on the fourth floor of our building where we had a lot of our products on display. The, the Sega 4GT uh, driving simulator was one of them. Um, I don't know if you recall the Mustang pool table as the well. The pool, I do. I was, that was the next thing I was going to ask you is how did you get that pool table up there? Because that <laughs> was, that's, because well, it's actually, right. it has, it actually has a VIN number. I mean, it's a big piece with tires. It is, with tires. Right. So It's a $10,000 <laughs> table. It's for, for people that uh, have money to spend, but no, we, we, uh, we tried to showcase and actually it was, it was largely my idea. To, to take that area and convert it into a showroom. And, and Ford employees, when they would walk into the area, just to look at their faces, to see all of the products that our licensing team had licensed and licensees had produced on Ford's behalf was a real eye-opener. And we had a freight elevator that ended up taking a lot of that stuff up and downstairs. But 
we had everything from ride-ons to the pool table to uh, pinball machines. Yep. Um, you remember our Mustang pinball machines? Yep. We had three three different versions of those. We worked with a company out of um, Chicago to Stern Pinball to do mm-hmm. those, and that was a real hit. That was back in the, around the 2010 timeframe. So it's it's amazing what you can take you know the DNA of a brand and transform it into licensed products. If there's a passion for that brand, people will want to license it in almost anything. And collectors and and owners love that. So we 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 definitely took advantage of that and it was a mutually beneficial thing for everybody. Well now you can see why people who are like you said employees are walking by and they see that and they're gonna probably say, is this really a job here at Ford? Somebody's actually <laughs> doing this while well, you're exactly. thinking you're thinking the same exactly. thing. They're 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 playing with toys and such. So that was kind of interesting. On a real quick side note, and and maybe you can confirm this for me. We when we got the machine and we needed to get some parts, I ended up having to call Sega out of England. Oh. Um, then they they transferred me to Sega in Chicago. But I was mm-hmm. told that they they only did three hundred of those here in the United States, and they all went to Chuck E. Cheese's. Well, that's quite possible. You know, I, I'm not quite sure on that, but I do know. You know, we had one obviously because we had a sample that that goes along with the contract that we receive a sample. Mm-hmm. But that's that could be right. Um, that sounds like the type of product that would be in a Chuck E. Cheese, yeah, or certainly an arcade. And and at the time, Chuck E. Cheese was one of the largest uh, arcades across the U.S. Right. So, so are uh, are they still are those are those gaming uh, consoles and things still up there on the fourth floor? Or? No, no. Unfortunately, oh boy, it's been probably you know ten, twelve years. Uh, we switched floors, and unfortunately, when we switched floors, we lost that large area, and a lot of that product ended up going into storage. And ultimately, what we did at Ford, if you can imagine, uh, with all the thousands and thousands of products that we do every year uh, from a licensing perspective, we we would get samples. So oh, anywhere yeah. from three to six or a dozen samples. So we had to basically purge every six to 12 months, a sale for juvenile diabetes and, and the proceeds went to the juvenile, juvenile diabetes foundation. It just, we, we couldn't keep up with the, we didn't have enough storage for everything that we had. No, it, it'd almost be like Indiana Jones at the last scene when you see the warehouse. There's just crates and crates or boxes and boxes of stuff. I imagine if you don't do something with it. But it's also it's nice that the money raised from that goes to juvenile diabetes. So, of course, you, it sure. turns into a positive as such. Do they still do that now? At the, I mean, I haven't, I haven't gotten notice of one in quite a while. I was just curious if they still do that. Throughout the pandemic, uh, they basically oh, been bursting at the seams. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been difficult. So uh, without employees at the Ford buildings the last two years, uh, they'll slowly start coming back this year, I understand. But it's been, uh, in the meantime, the storerooms are, are getting very full. <laughs> but uh, they, they will have a sale in the near future, I'm understanding, probably this spring or, or summer. Well, it, it makes sense to do it this spring and summer because, again, like you said, people have not been doing much. There's probably there's there there's a lot of people looking to get their car out and go on trips and what have you. But they're also those types. They're going to be hey, let's you know they see something like this, they're going to be interested in it. So uh, I'm sure it's a good time. But uh, I want to talk about a little bit about what you guys are doing now. Um, obviously, it's exciting because as a 
previously as a as a licensee, um, you know, we had we uh, well we were you know we were asked by uh, Ford or I say you know by John to you know go to Shelby, go to Celine, go to Roush, uh, try to get these other licenses um, involved because of course it helps when there is a licensee for those products. It helps Ford because otherwise. You can only, you know, if you did a, a did a Shelby license, but without Ford as a co or as a as a dual license, I can just put the I can only put the word Shelby on a product. That's it. Uh, but if we want to use right. some of the logos and some of the cars, we have to have Ford involved. I it was it was, and I'll be honest with you, it was it was a little bit more. It was much easier to work with Ford. I, don't, I hate to say that out loud, but not not because I don't mean to throw any of the others under the bus, but it was a little difficult trying to work with the Celines, with the Rouches, because I think partially I always felt like it really wasn't that important to them. You know, they didn't really have a person that understood or focused on that. And I'm I'm speaking from my opinion. I'm not a licensee with them anymore, so I can say that I you know they're not gonna it's not gonna affect us. But how is having someone like yourself who is a professional, knows this, can work with this, understands both sides of the street, as it were, how is this progressing? Is this working? Or is there, is there, are the uh, licensees starting to appreciate the fact what you guys can do for them and be, a, be the conduit to the Celine or the Shelby or, or, or RTR, for that matter? So that's, that's a great question. Uh, one of the things, one of the reasons we started the licensing factory was to, to your point, you know, we had the Ford background, we understood, and we also understood the partners, we understood the Shelby's, the Celine's, the Rausch's, the, the RTR's, um, no, Rausch is not a client, by the way, but, right. um, but Shelby and Celine and, and RTR, are. and, and now what we are doing on behalf of Shelby, Celine and RTR is actually tying everything together. So there, there are contracts behind every one of these licensed products. And our job is to make sure that when we work with a company that's, say, producing a T-shirt, that if it's going to have a Shelby GT500 on the T-shirt, that they also have a license from Ford. Because without the license from Ford, to your point, uh, you can't license, you know, that product cannot go to the marketplace. There is a dual license in that case between Ford and Shelby. And so our job is to make sure that we we work with the Ford team, make them aware that there's a deal coming. Uh, we send the licensee over to Ford to negotiate their part of the deal. We negotiate the deal on behalf of Shelby. And once it's all done, uh, the product development actually has to go to both parties for review and approval. So it's uh, it's a little bit more complicated when you have a dual license with with an aftermarket you know, partner. But but if you have the right people involved, and we think frankly we're the right people to help. Um, it makes it a lot smoother. And, and our partners that we worked with when we were at Ford recognized the value of the fact that we know that and we know how to bridge both sides of the fence. Well, I know when we spoke a while back and you you mentioned about the, whether you were doing it with the licensing factory, I my first thought was, I didn't say this to you, I said, like, where were you 10, 12 years ago? Because it, <laughs> it, it was it was a, a bit of a minefield because you would have mm-hmm. one side looking at one thing, and, and rightfully so, they're trying to protect their marks and, and, and intellectual property. At the same time, you've got to work with the other side of the other side because this, well, they certainly have they certainly have certain rights also, and it was just kind of you know it was kind of like 
why can't you know we're on the same we're on the same hobby let's work together a little bit not that not that they're against each other but it just made it a little bit more difficult to try to accomplish what you wanted to do and that was kind of it and it took time sometimes i mean i i will say that when i was a licensee there were literally times within five minutes i would get an approval which is unheard of. I mean, it's just strictly unheard of to get an approval on an art design or a concept or something and such. So we appreciate that because time is money when you're in the manufacturing side. But uh, sometimes it was a little, a little stressful working with the other brands that were automotive related as such. So it was it was kind of kind of kind of difficult. Let's put it that way. Well, you know, I, and I understand that. And it really boils down to the management in each organization and what their priority is on licensing yes. or what their objectives are. Now, Ford, you know, since since I left Ford um, a few years ago, there's a new management team in there. And I believe they still share the same philosophy of, you know, being um, supportive of the licensees and, and responding quickly. But But again, you know, as times change and, and strategies change in different organizations, uh, products that might have been approved a few years ago may not be approved now, just because the company says, you know what, we're not going to go in that direction. And same thing with the, you know, the Shelby's and the Celine's, you know, and the RTRs of the world, they may not like a certain product um, and may ask that that not be licensed and the deal won't go forward. So it, every deal is unique. And that's, that's part of our job is to make sure before we get too far down the path that we have the buy-in from both sides. Well, it is important because that way it makes a better product and a more representative product of what a, an enthusiast should have. And I think that's something I want to just touch base on that I think a lot of a lot of the enthusiasts, as I may have said earlier, they don't understand the value of licensing other than it costs more money. By having licensing, you know, of course, a licensee has to pay a royalty, rightfully so, of course. But the assets that the licensee gets back from the licensor, and I mean licensor such as companies like Ford or Shelby, helps them create a better product and in many cases a safer product correct it's especially especially uh, when it comes to automotive aftermarket part parts because you don't want someone who's making brakes that will fit for work with a mustang if you don't know that they can be trusted, are they really quality fat, quality material being used? Is it the right part? Is it exactly the right fit? Things of that nature. Because you can run into some concerns, I think, over safety. And if something failed, who are they going to look at? Who is that owner of that car going to look at and say, wait a minute, this product didn't, this product didn't work. My brakes went out or whatever it might be. My steering column has a problem. So I think they have to understand there's a safety factor that's also just as important. It's like, you know, well, that's why they have what the underwriter's laboratory to make sure, you know, cords are electrically safe, things of that Mm -hmm. nature. So you've talked earlier, of course, you were doing toys and video. If you don't mind, uh, back in those days, what other departments did Ford Licensing have specialty administrators in or such as people like yourself because i know i know and i kind of know the answer but i wanted you to kind of share the depth of what ford did as far as breaking out the products so that there wasn't just one or two people you had a staff you had a team correct right so on our team our internal team um we we not only had you know the toys and video games which represented about 60 percent roughly 60 70 percent some cases of, of the overall revenue um and, and the numbers of total licensees, the other departments that other categories that we licensed into apparel, we talk about that, 
you know, gifts and novelties, and that can run the whole gamut of, you know, wall clocks, signs, pool tables, those types of things. Transportation bikes, believe it or not, um, auto accessories, which, you know, we'll talk about in a second. Garage and tools. We had a line of power tools, restaurants, Ford's garage restaurants. Those are licensed. Those are the types of things that um, our, our department covered. It was, and then eventually we also took over restoration parts from another group, merged those with auto accessories. Now, when you when we talk about auto accessories, you mentioned you know kind of more functional parts like brakes. We didn't touch that in licensing. We we tended to focus on more on the cosmetic uh, hang-on type parts, shift knobs, steering wheel covers, floor mats. Every once in a while, you might do an odd spoiler or rocker panel, uh, but ultimately, you know, it was more of the um, non-engineered, non-functional type parts, because to your point, from a safety perspective, it wasn't worth Ford's time or liability for the licensing team to go out and, and sign those types of deals. So we we tended to let the internal groups handle that. Ford component sales, um, also Ford performance and others had their own fully engineered parts that, that they would market. And we stayed away from that in licensing. Oh, I, I, I my, my bad, because I actually thought that was, when it came to parts like that, that was also something that was in your group, because uh, for some reason, because I thought all the licensing and all those kinds of things were in that group uh, that uh, that I was familiar with and such, so. Well, interestingly, I think, you know, we, we did like caliper covers. So if you look at MGP caliper covers, they, they did um, caliper covers, but again, not a functional brake part, just more of a cosmetic um, cover part, car covers from Covercraft, floor mats from Lloyd's mats. I mean, those types of things that we, that we were worked with companies on again, but nothing that could potentially fail and cause a, cause a catastrophic uh, injury. Right. Yeah, that, that's where the liability and concerns can really, really mount up very quickly. And that's a difficulty because, of course, mechanicals, you don't want them to break down because the, the result can be catastrophic. Let's talk a little bit about what licensing does for the enthusiasts because a lot of, as I mentioned a minute ago, uh, a lot of licensees just don't understand why there are rules to what they they don't understand why they can't go out and make their own t-shirts or why they can't go out and make their own whatever it might be that they think they should they want to see out there and and such but i thought it'd be interesting just if you could chat a little bit i think you always you had mentioned um about the three p's of licensing so i'd like to get into that a little bit because um i've candidly I, i will tell you this i've had i've had when we were doing car shows people come up and say well why can't i do my own t-shirt I go, well, mm-hmm. what do you mean? Well, I, I, I own this, you know, I own this Mustang over here. I want to do my own T-shirt for that. And I said, I don't understand why licensing says I can't because I can't find my T-shirt, my car on a T-shirt anywhere. And I want a T-shirt with my car on it. And I've always tried to use the idea that, well, let me explain it to you this way. Just because you buy a can of Coke does not allow you to go out and make a Coke T-shirt because you buy the product for its intended use. And obviously, it's a soft drink. It's a beverage. Your car is yours, but it's transportation. You don't automatically have those rights by having the car. You don't own the intellectual property to that vehicle. And of course, I've had a few people to them. I just that that just blew up in my face <laughs> mm-hmm. to try to explain it to them that way. So, what do you mean? I own that car. I can do whatever I want with that car. 
You can to a degree, of course, but when you're talking about a single car and a single person trying to do a single shirt, not you know, I think at the end of the day, whatever. But I was just kind of curious just to chat a little bit so they understand the more of the bigger scope, the bigger picture of when it comes to licensing and what it does for the hobby. Sure, sure. So I just really quick to address your point you just made. Ford will, on one-off situations, approve uh, use of its brand, but you have to uh, go through a process. And, and Ford has a website. Um, it's FordBrandLicensing.com, and you can request brand permission use. And there's a form you fill out, and you would be amazed. Um, and I've been on the receiving end of a lot of those requests when I was, when I was in the um, job. And, you know, birthday cakes, shirts, hats tombstones believe it or not wow that people request the mustang logo on and and again the mustang was by far and away the most popular request that we would receive in a lot of cases if it made sense and it was just a one-off and it made an enthusiast happy ford would approve it it wasn't meant to then take and then oh we're going to start making ford t-shirts in bulk you know that's that's part of a licensing process but for the one-off fans we we did approve those types of things I, you know, I mentioned, you mentioned the three P's. So the, the three P's of, of Ford are to number one, protect the brand, uh, which means making sure that we protect the brand DNA, we protect the IP that, that Ford owns. So in the case of the Mustang, Ford owns that name and that likeness and the pony likeness, um, and also to promote the brand. So as toys and other products are produced in mass and and sold throughout the marketplace that's helping to further the brand awareness in this case mustang so you know you see a mustang t-shirt people will see that and you know when they see that mustang t-shirt on a person that's a brand impression and and over time that one t-shirt can create hundreds if not thousands of brand impressions and you think about the thousands of hot wheels that are produced i mean Again, it just starts to get exponential. It's almost in the billions. It is in the billions when it comes to brand impression. So protect the brand, number one, uh, from you know being misused or misrepresented. Promote the brand, creating brand impressions. And then the final part, which is a natural result, is produce revenue, which is uh, one of the reasons Ford also licenses is to make sure that we leverage that uh, brand to produce additional revenue for the company. Well, it's interesting you say that because um, it's about about in the about 1999 or somewhere around there, I had been at a licensee meeting for Anheuser Busch, and August Bush walked in, and this was August Bush the third. He was the head of the uh, Anheuser Busch at the time. He walked in and he said, oh, "I'm not scheduled to be here, but I wanted to walk in because he said I got to thank you because I still don't get that you guys pay us to you put our logo and sell stuff, and we're getting so you're paying us to create impressions." And he says, "So you're buying T-shirts or whatever it might be." And this was about the same time when they had the lizards and the frogs as a very strong licensing property. He says, he "says I'm just amazed where we're out there trying to buy advertising space." Whether, you know, wherever it is, you know, on TV, print or what have you, but yet you're paying us to create, to give us more impressions. He said, it's reverse marketing for us. He says, I have to, th right. I think it's great. I love it. He said, our most expensive, I will, I will share with you, our most expensive marketing uh, expenditure that we have is our NASCAR team. 
And we, he said, he says that we break everything down by how much do we spend, how many impressions do we get over the course of that investment. He says our cheapest uh, expense per impression is the $20 million we spend on that car. Mm-hmm. And it just gives you, if you realize it, it starts to give you just a focus of how important impressions are. But again, that's what brands are looking for is the impressions. But the key feature to that is, or the key part, I think, is that it has to be the correct impression. It has to be exactly what's on the, uh, what the intellectual property actually is. So it can't be out there just doing nilly-willy stuff or things that's wrong. Because then if it's not licensed and not correct, the end user is actually getting stuff they're actually being stolen from them so to speak you're buying an inferior product you're not buying what you think you're getting Uh, obviously it's a big problem with fashion perfumes and things of that nature but it does trickle into other areas also so i wanted to kind of bring that up because licensing is a protection factor for the enthusiast so they are getting an authentic product i think that's important to understand right and and it's interesting you mentioned august bush because actually the 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 founder of licensing at Ford is Edsel Ford II. And Edsel in the early 90s had seen over the last, you know, several years, the Ford name being used in ways that he didn't like. And, and the fact that Ford was not protected, they didn't have a team that was really set up in place to do that. So Edsel Ford founded the brand licensing department around 91, 92 timeframe. And, and that kicked off the whole process of, of getting partners brought in. And in the early days, it was heavy into die cast. I mean, it was the Franklin Mints. It was the the Nat. It was um, Motorsports Authentics in NASCAR. NASCAR was a huge business um, in die cast uh, back in the day, and uh, and a few other you know Keith Mattel, of course, and uh, and a few other key companies that started the business. But the number one reason it was started was to protect the brand. Now the revenue was nice. It started, you know, rolling in as soon as the contracts were were written and and products starting be, being produced and licensed. That was a nice outcome for it. But the whole reason for the department initially, because the Ford family saw how the brand was being misused and misrepresented, and they wanted to take control of that. That's what licensing will do. I mean, that's that's exactly. one of the, exactly that's what's there for is making sure that the right message is getting out. It's a quality mm-hmm. product. It's not a piece of junk. Um, unfortunately, there are there are screen there are apparel out there that you wash at one time is now worth a, being is now a wash rag, basically. So they also know that licensing will then protect the quality of the product and such. And so that's important. If you could, just share some of the new types of products. You don't need to get into names of companies or mm-hmm. anything like that. But it's always interesting to see because I think technology is going to also push types of, of uh, merchandise forward or types of products that'll become available. If you don't mind sharing a few for the last few minutes, this is some of the things that are kind of, you know, they're in the conversation, they're possibly in the pipeline, things that maybe to look forward to in the future. It, very interesting. I mentioned NFTs earlier and, and NFTs, non-fungible tokens for, for those folks that uh, don't understand the acronym, it's basically a, a digital collectible. So if you wanted to have a image of a Mustang in, in digital form and own that image. You actually own it. You, you have a serial number. You own that image. You can then eventually sell that in, in the aftermarket through the blockchain. Uh, that NFTs are growing. And, and this year, it's it's basically exploded. We're, we're getting a lot of proposals for NFTs um, through uh, gaming experiences. So basically a video game where you purchase an NFT and then you get to drive that car 
within the video game. So if it's a GT500 NFT, then you have a GT500 in your garage in the game and you drive it around uh, digitally, um, either in mobile, mainly mobile phone games uh, right now, but eventually we'll see console games going down the same, same road. The other, the other thing that's interesting is the metaverse, which is where it's a digital world where you create an avatar of yourself and you can actually purchase a digital Ford or Mustang t-shirt to wear or any type of apparel, a hat with the brand logos on them and walk around in a, in a 3D world. And you can go encounter, say, a Shelby dealership or, you know, a Celine vehicle sitting, you know, in, in an open area, then interact with that and learn about the vehicle, take a walk around it. And, and basically you're doing all this in what's called the metaverse. And you can also interact with people and um, things and earn, uh, earn money uh, through, through digital currency and, and purchase NFTs while you're in the digital universe, metaverse. So it's, it's kind of, a, it's a very fascinating time right now. We're just kind of on the early stages of it, but brands are jumping in in a big way and um, we are actually representing the licensing factories, representing a developer called Ghost Punch Games, who is developing a metaverse world, which will include eventually um, automotive brand owners. So that's just one example of where things are trending. Again, we talked about physical products like you know collectibles. We're now moving into the digital era, and a lot of younger people are embracing that world and getting away from the more physical and into the more digital space. Mark, you just made me realize I'm so old school that it sounds like I can't go and put a quarter in my pinball machine and play that anymore. It's gone to a whole different world. That's that's amazing. Well, let, that's let amazing. Me tell you, Steve, it's been a learning experience <laughs> for me as well. I, I, not, uh, I was not familiar with this world. If you'd asked me six months ago, I would have looked at you like you had three eyes, but because it's our it's our world that we work in now as as licensing agents and we're getting a lot of opportunities for our clients we have to understand it and so i'm i'm actually getting pretty good at uh joining these environments and i have i have an avatar that that walks around and and checks out uh you know things like Snoop Dogg and Adidas and wow other other stores that currently exist in the uh, in the metaverse oh uh, it's amazing i uh when we when we first were started promoting the idea about the museum, there was a lady who was a, been a very big benefactor to the museum because she had been a collector of parts and toys. She had been in the business for many many years, and she uh, had lunch with her, and she asked me one a number of questions about what our thoughts for the museum. But she asked me, well, where do you see five or ten years the museum is going to be? What will keep it relevant? And I looked at her and I said, well. I think what's going to keep it relevant was the, it will be the use of that day's technology. Using technology mm -hmm. is going to really be the next step because, you know, the, the cars are the star. I always tell people when they come, the cars are the star, but mm -hmm. we really need to keep, we need to create a better environment for the cars. We've got to do more than just park cars because, at, you know, at the end of the day, you can go to a car show and see some great cars. But here, and we have some rare ones here that you'll never see anywhere else, but we need to build the environment. And so uh, this year, we're, as we open up a new section of the museum, we're going to be doing a lot with QR codes. Now, for mm -hmm. us, that's a big leap. 
But then when I'm hearing what you guys are doing, I'm sitting there going, boy, we are still so far behind where technology actually can go and, and, and will be going. So uh, I'm excited to see what you guys do because we'd love to learn if there's some things that we can incorporate into the museum because we really want to be more than just a car garage. We really want to be able to kind of create some environments so people come because we want to give them entertainment. And I think that's what we're, uh, it's kind of what I'm hearing. So I'm kind of excited to hear as things progress along, maybe learn a little bit more about this from you and see if down sure. the road there's a way for us to apply some of this and with what you're doing with your licensing projects that, uh, you know, I think, this, I think this is awesome. This is awesome. I mean, it's very good to hear how things are progressing with technology and will be included in the, in the Mustang world. So that's great. Let me ask you as we wrap up. I have a couple quick questions for you that we like sure. to ask our uh, our guests. Do you drive a Mustang now? Yes, I have. I have a 1997. My son and I own a 1997 uh, Mustang GT convertible, red, black top, Cobra wheels, and uh, it's a long story. But I, my son thought he was getting a Ford Focus for his uh, 17th birthday, uh, just as a daily driver. And uh, the president of the uh, Michigan Mustang Owners Club, uh, Mark Storm, said, you've got to get him a Mustang because he loves Mustangs. Anyways, long story short, I surprised him with a 97 Mustang Florida car, and uh, we still own it to this day. We bought it in 2008, and it's, it's his baby, my son's baby. Oh, that's that's a great dad. I think that's that's a great dad. Uh, you love hearing those kinds of stories, because now you know. I mean, I'm sure your son was probably already, you know, kind of swaying towards Mustangs anyway or Ford because dad worked there. But now yes. I think you've cemented him for he has a story for the rest of his life, um, and yeah, you know, and it probably become something that he keeps in the family. So it's it may, still, yes, it's yeah, his baby. Yeah, may not be the family jewelry, but it's a family uh, family <laughs> item that they'll keep. So, did you have a Mustang that you had at one time that got away? You wish you'd kept. You know, interestingly, um, I I had when I was working at Ford Field Sales. So I I started in the sales and marketing group at Ford, and I moved uh, from the Chicago sales office to the Milwaukee sales office in, in 1991, and I inherited, at that time, a Fox body uh, Mustang convertible for my field sales car, and uh, I had it for all of you know, eight months because you turn those cars every 3,000 miles, but uh, that was the one that got away. I wish I wished I'd bought it, <laughs> but it was, again, it was a red with black top, similar to the one that we bought the 97, but it was a Fox body and, and just an amazing car. I, I missed that car. It was, it was one, pretty amazing. It is interesting that uh, I know people that we've had on and they've had, you know, five or six, maybe 10 different Mustangs and they may own two or three at that time. But it'll be funny that there'll always be that one that's just a, for some reason to them it resonated to them a little differently. It's the mm -hmm. one that they you know it's the one that got away. I wish you know I've had I think I've had six or seven myself, but the one that got away from me was my very first one. And so you're going eh, you know, but at the time you know you're in college, you're getting out of college, you got you're getting married. You know how life changes, so uh, right. things happen that way. So. But, Mark, I really appreciate the time uh, joining us. I know that our listeners will really enjoy having a chance to kind of hear from uh, licensing. I think this is an area where people don't really have any education other than they have some opinions. And I, I think that I, I like the, the idea that we can kind of share some things that so they understand 
just the value of what licensing is for and what they do get out of it because it's all for the benefit of the product. I mean, licensing is very important. Without it, you know, maybe the Mustang itself wouldn't be as popular as it is now because without the products, you don't have the toys. And so uh, that's that's how I've always looked at it. So I really appreciate your time. So thank you. Thank you. And I just want to say one thing. Licensing follows fame. So if a product is famous, you can license it. Absolutely. Because people will want it and they'll look for it. And it's amazing back, even back in the days in the 60s, because we have we have cabinets full of memorabilia from 65 and 64 and 66. And it's amazing the amount of different products were made back in those days. Now, I don't know if there was licensing involved. It was just so so brand new to the world that they just these companies just started making it. But you're right. As became popular and famous, there were products for it. You, you're absolutely right. So... Well, again, thank you, and um, I'm sure we'll speak again. Sounds great. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. Alrighty. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another episode of the Mustang Owners Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss any episodes. For more information on the museum, please go to mustangownersmuseum.com, and you'll find additional information on upcoming events.